And while you are turning there, I will remind you, as I reminded our Sunday school class, is that there is one gospel told from four different perspectives. There's only one good news, only one gospel of Jesus Christ. But your Bible records four different biographies of the life of Jesus. Matthew being one, John being Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John being those four different biographies of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning, I'd like to direct your attention to Matthew chapter two. No, 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 no. Matthew chapter one. I'm sorry. Uh, verse. What's up there? Yeah, that should be chapter one. I'm sorry. Matthew chapter one. Um, hold on. No. I'm sorry. I was right. It's chapter two. <laughs> chapter two, beginning in verse seven. You have it. Say amen. amen. And you just stay seated. You're good. You're good. Verse 7 reads, Then Herod called the Magi, or the wise men, secretly, and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star that they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense, or some of your translations will say frankincense, and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route or another way. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. For part of my introduction this morning, I'd like for you guys to, to use your imagination. I'd like to present a scenario to you, but for many of you, it will be an all-too-real scenario. And so I want you to imagine that you will receive a gift this coming Christmas that you don't like. But because you have been taught by your parents to always be respectful, you pretend to like it. And you express what I would call fake gratitude to the person who gave the gift to you. Rachel just smiling. Y'all don't smile too much. You tell on yourself. So now after you, you express, express this great Gratitude to the person who gave it to you. But later on, Rachel, in the day, while you chilling out, talking to some of maybe another family member or friend, you express your displeasure 
in this particular gift. It could have been one of those, what we call those ugly sweaters. It could have been something else. But whatever the gift is, you just don't like it. And then, Rachel, this family friend or this family friend or family member tells you, well, Rachel, you know the old saying is the thought that counts. But you reply, hmm, obviously, obviously, they ain't give much thought to it. <laughs> so that's what Rachel said. She said, they ain't give much thought to it. It's obvious they didn't give much thought to it. And so now, Rachel, sis, you can't return it for cash. Or exchange it for something else because this person then put a gift receipt in the back, in the box. You decide, Rachel, to engage in a popular practice today called re-gifting. Sound like some of y'all know what it is. <laughs> now, while the practice of re-gifting has been around a long time, the term itself, the term re-gifting was popularized on an episode of the sitcom Seinfeld. I don't know if you guys watch Seinfeld, uh, but this particular episode was called The Label Maker. And you have to pull up YouTube if you really want to see it, but that's where that term got popularized. Re-gifting was on that episode. Now, the term refers to the act of giving away an unwanted gift as a way of disposing it. You don't want to just keep it stacked up in the house, so you re-gift it and you give it away to somebody else. Now, to be honest, let's be honest with ourselves, trying to find a gift that some people would like can be very frustrating. Can I get a witness? It can be very stressful trying to find a gift for some people be a daunting task, which is why, as an aside, I usually just give money. Go buy what you want. I don't have to deal with that. So uh, that's where I am right now. Now, but, but, I, but I don't want to let you off the hook that easy, Deacon Curry, because there are some things that you and I can do in order to help us in being able to find the gift for a particular person. Now, how many of you remember or knows uh, F, well, I think it's yes, F, um, FTD Florist? You remember FTD Florist? Well, FTD Florist, um, on their website, they give some wisdom on how to go about finding the gift for a particular person to really help you minimize worrying about whether or not you buy something for somebody and they end up re-gifting it or giving it away. Now, they give two suggestions or tips that can help you in doing this. The first tip or suggestion that they give to help you find the gift to someone and help minimize the frustration and the stress, the first thing they say is that you need to think about the recipient. You need to think about the person that you're going to be buying the gift for. And they say on their website, and I quote, when giving a gift, it is most important to think about who will be receiving it. Who's going to be on the other end of the gift that you are buying? 
Because the gift, they go on to say, is for them. It's not for you. It is for the other person that you're buying the gift for. And it should be catered to their particular personality and what they like. Not what you like. That's the first thing you need to do. You need to think about the recipient. Think about the person. Think about your husband. Think about your wife. Think about your child. Think about whoever it is that's going to be receiving the gift. Think about their personality, their likes, their dislikes. Take all of that into consideration before you go and buy a gift. It's not so much about what you like. It's what, what they might like. Y'all all right? And then the second thing they say is that you need to personalize the gift. In other words, you need to make sure the gift means something not only to you, but more importantly, that it means something to the other person. Make sure it means something to them. And it could be that you, you were with them and... And they were, you were out shopping with them and, and you noticed that they, they were focused on this particular item or, or they saw something on television or, or they mentioned it to you that, oh, I would love to have one of these or one of that. And you just need to be, really be paying attention to when people are talking, sharing with you because you really need to personalize it and make it fit them. How many of you received gifts that you didn't like? Okay, so Sister Carter raised her hand, but Brother Carter was a little scared to raise his. <laughs> I see that. He just looked and he had his hand. Oh, okay, okay, I got you. I see you, I see you, I see you, I see you, I see you. I see you. I see you. <laughs> so again, you need to what? Think about the recipient and you need to personalize the gift. Now, in our text today, in our text today, the wise men presents three gifts to Jesus. Gold, number one, frankincense or incense, number two, and myrrh. And so for the next few minutes, I want, to, I want us to collectively examine these three gifts by using these rules or tips that I just mentioned from FTD Flores. And, and I want to title this message this morning, The Three Gifts of Christmas. The Three Gifts of Christmas. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so if we think back to the, the first rule that FTD Flores said that you need to take into consideration when you give a gift, if you need to think about the what? You need to think about the person that is going to be on the receiving end of your gift. And so I want to begin as we look at this text by asking the question, who is the recipient of the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh? What do we know about this person? What is this person like? Who is the recipient of these three gifts? And I want to limit our discussion Strictly to the book of Matthew. I don't want us to look anywhere else. I want to allow Matthew to stand on his own terms and allow us to see who is this recipient. Who is the person that is receiving the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh? What 
does Matthew tell us about this person that is receiving these gifts? And if you go to the next slide, I got about seven things on this slide that Matthew records about the recipient of the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh. Now, the very first thing I have on the list that, 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 that Matthew records about the person who is receiving his gift is that this person, Oscar, has a miraculous conception. Say that with me. Miraculous. Everybody. Miraculous conception. We see that this person has a miraculous conception. I want you to look now in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. Matthew 18 and 19. I don't have slides for those verses, so you need to look in your Bible or on your device and follow along. Look at what it says in verse 18. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Mary did not conceive Jesus in the natural way. Mary was overshadowed by the power of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit overshadowed her, and that is how Mary was conceived, when she conceived Jesus in her womb. And so we see that this person had a miraculous conception. Now, a lot of people struggle with trying to make sense. I can't explain how God did that. I don't know how God did this. But here's what I know, Reggie. I know this. I know that if God could speak and create out of nothing, God could use his own words and call into existence everything that you and I see today. That God spoke out of his mouth and created the entire universe and all of the galaxies that we see. The sun, the moon, the stars, all of the planets. And that by that same word, he upholds all of the universe by his powerful word. That God could cause the sun to stand in mid-air and not fall out of the sky. That the earth could rotate on its axis. That we could have seasons, summer, winter, fall, and spring. If God can do that, he certainly can place himself into the womb of a woman. He can do that. I don't know if you ever stood and just looked at the sun, that the sun is suspended in midair. And it doesn't. It just stands there. If God can do that, then certainly God can place himself inside of a woman. So the first thing we see is that this person that is the recipient of this gold, frankincense, and myrrh had a miraculous conception. He was conceived through the power of the Holy Spirit. The second thing that we see regarding the recipient of this gift is that he has a unique purpose or a unique mission in life. Look at verse 21 of Matthew chapter 1. Verse 21 of chapter 1 of Matthew says, She will give birth to a son, and you will give him the name what? 
You will give him the name Jesus. And the reason why you're going to give him the name Jesus is because his name speaks of his purpose. His name speaks of his mission. His name in Hebrew is, is Joshua. And the word Joshua means salvation. It means one who delivers. And so Jesus' mission is tied up in his name. And, and Matthew goes on to say you can call his name Jesus, Jesus in Spanish, but it doesn't matter what name you call it, the mission is still the same. His mission was to save his people from their sins. He had a unique mission in life, and that mission was to save his people from their sins, to save your sin, my sin, to deliver us from the power of the enemy. He had a specific and unique Mission in life, and his mission in life was connected to his name. His name was Jesus. They called him Jesus because he was going to save. He was going to set free. He was going to make whole all people who were held captives through the power of sin. So not only did the recipient of this, this gift have a miraculous conception, he also had a unique person or mission in life. The third thing that Matthew records about this person who receives the gold, the frankincense, or the myrrh is that his birth was uh, fulfilled Old Testament prophecy. His birth fulfilled Old Testament prophecy. Look at verse 22. Uh, yeah, look at verse 22 and 23 of, um, of chapter 1. You got it? Verse 22 says, All this took place to fulfill the word that the Lord has spoke through the prophet. Now the prophet that Matthew is referring to in this particular text is the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 if you want to make a mental note of that. And this is what the prophet Isaiah said, The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means what? Which means God with us. This person who is receiving these gifts is fulfilling Old Testament prophecy. Prophecies has to do with things that were spoken Way before the incident ever took place. So this person is fulfilling the word of God that was spoken through a prophet thousands of years before he ever came on the scene. Now the second verse I want you to look at is uh, chapter 2. Flip over to chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. Chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. Well, let's back up to verse 3 of chapter 2. You got it? When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ or the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. Now, in the first Old Testament prophecy... The prophet was Isaiah. In this particular prophecy, it is the prophet Micah. And this is what the prophet Micah, you find this in Micah 5 and 2. And Micah 5, 2 says, but you, Bethlehem, 
in the land of Judah are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. This is a messianic prophecy that was fulfilled in the life of Jesus. And here again, it was told thousands of years before Jesus ever came on the scene. And what Micah is saying here is that the, that the, that the, that the Messiah was going to be, be, be born in Bethlehem. So he's giving a geographic location where the Messiah was going to be born. And so what we see about this recipient of these three gifts is that he fulfilled his birth, fulfilled Old Testament prophecy. He had a unique mission or purpose in life, and he had a miraculous conception. Are you with me? What number is that? Three. All right, let's go to number four. Number four. The fourth thing that we see about this person that Matthew records is that he was God incarnate. He was God incarnate. Now, I need you to look back in Matthew 1, 23. Matthew 1, 23. We just read it a few minutes ago. Matthew 1, 23. He's God incarnate. And incarnate means to be the enfleshment of God. It's God in flesh. Verse 22 again says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, Emmanuel, God with us, God with us. So when we see about this is that Emmanuel means that God is now with us. And the only way for God to tabernacle or live among us is that God had to take on human flesh. And that's what God did in the person of Jesus Christ. He took on human flesh so that he could identify with you and I. Had God not, Deacon Curry, taken on human flesh, he would not be able to identify with the weaknesses that we go through. He would not be able to identify with the pain and the suffering and the agony. And you need to wrap your head around what God did when God took on human flesh and that God was able to identify with the things that we go through because apart from that, God cannot identify with us because he's totally separate from us. He's totally other from us. He's totally distinct from us. But when he became one with us, he, get, he knows what it means to get tired because he put on flesh. He knows what it means to get hungry because he took on flesh. He knows what it means to get sleepy because he took on flesh. You do know the Bible says God never sleeps nor slumbers. God don't sleep. You better be glad he don't. God doesn't get tired. You better be glad he doesn't get tired. But because God took on human flesh, Jesus got tired. Jesus got hungry. Jesus got sleepy. You remember he was on the boat? You remember he was on the boat? And the disciples and that you know, squall came upon them, and, and, and I mean the waves were, 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 were just going all crazy. And the Bible says uh, the, the disciples were scared. They were scared. They were scared. They were scared. And and, 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 and they and they woke Jesus up. Jesus was in the, in, in the in the hinder part of the ship 
sleep on a pillow. Why? Because he was tired. He knows what it means to get tired. Jesus knows what it feels like to suffer. Jesus knows what it's like to agonize over someone who's died. Jesus understands grief because his friend Lazarus died. He knows what pain and suffering is like. So you and I, when we pray, we have a high priest who can sympathize with us. He can empathize with us because he became one with us. And so that is, man, when you think about the power of the incarnation and what God did when he became one with us, he identified with us and then he died in our place to take our place, to take our sins away from us. He was God incarnate. But not only that, not only that, not only was he God incarnate and all the other things I said, but, but he was also a king. He was also a king. And don't let that escape you. Look at, uh, Matthew, uh, 2 and verse 2. Matthew 2 and verse 2. Matthew 2 and verse 2 says, uh, well let's back up to verse 1 so we have it in context. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, During the time of King Herod, wise men or magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? King of the Jews. Jesus, this little baby that was in this house that the magi saw, the Bible says that he is king. He's king. And throughout Scripture, Bible, the Bible declares that God is king, that God is sovereign, that God is Lord. He is the Lord of lords and the king of kings. He is the king. He has a kingdom. He rules and reigns over all because he created it all. Jesus is a king. And this one of the things that, that the Bible repeats over and over and over and over again is the royalty and the, the authority of God, that God is our king, that God sits on his throne, that God's uh, throne is established in the heavens and he rules and reigns on high. That baby was a king. And it wasn't just any king. He was the king of the universe. He was the king. The king. And then the sixth thing that Matthew tells us about this recipient of the gift is he's worthy of worship. He's worthy of worship. Look back at the Matthew 2, 2b, the second part of the verse. This is what the Magi said when they were talking to King Herod. We saw his star in the east, Sister Carmen. And we have come what? We come for one purpose. What do we come for? We come to worship him. We come to worship him. And the word worship is proskuneo. And the word means that you prostrate yourself down. He's worthy to be bowed down before. 
He's worthy to, 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 to lay at His feet. He's, he's worthy to be worshipped. He's worthy of all the adoration. He's worthy of all the praise. He's worthy of all the glory. He's worthy to be praised because He is King. He's worthy of worship. He's worthy of your worship. He's worthy of my worship. And, 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 and I know we just had singing and things like this, but, but understand this. Worshiping the king isn't just limited to Sunday morning. Worshiping in the king, worshiping Jesus is not just about singing and praising and clapping and dancing. Worship is a lifestyle. Worship is what you do every single day. Worship is when you bow down and you say, not my will, but thine will be done. Worship is doing what the king wants you to do. Worship is recognizing that it is not my life, but it is his life. I ain't got no life. He owns me. He bought me. He owns me. And so all I want to do is what the king desires of me. I'm a subject of the kingdom. And I worship him. I give my praise. I give my glory. I don't worship anything else. I worship him. And that's a lifestyle. It's something you do 24, 7, 365 days out of the year. You worship him. He's worthy to be worshipped. But when we do come into the sanctuary... When we do come to sing and to praise, it should be just like breathing for you. You shouldn't have to pump you up, shouldn't have to browbeat you, shouldn't have to exalt you. You should come into the sanctuary with a song in your heart. You should come into the sanctuary with a dance in your step. You should come into the sanctuary singing your hallelujahs and glory be to God because he's worthy to be praised because my worship in church is just an extension of my worship at home. My worship in church is just an extension of my worship when I'm driving in my car. My Worship on Sunday morning, Deke, is just an extension of what I do 365 days out of the year. I only come in this sanctuary one day out of the week. The rest of it is just an extension. And so if you ain't worshiping him on Monday, if you're not worshiping on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, then somebody has to pump you up on Sunday. Because you ain't worship him, him the rest of the week. And it becomes like pulling teeth. And you ain't got no instruments, good instruments, try to get in there. Pull them, because some of your teeth, them stubborn teeth, they don't want to come out. Teeth stubborn, they don't want to come out. So it ought to be an extension, your worship on Sunday morning. If you don't remember anything else I say, the worship that you give on Sunday morning should be a reflection of the worship you give six days a week. Problem with some of you is that you don't worship the other days of the week. You dedicate the rest of the week to your whatever you want to do. You ain't seeking him. You ain't studying the word. You're not praying. You're not listening to worship music. And so when you come in here, your spirit is like cement. I don't know why I'm staying here, but I'll stay here until the law said leave here. Worship like cement because it's like, like lifting up, it's like lifting up a building. An old building trying to jack it up so you can lay a foundation on it. 
You come here with, with, with a jacked up foundation because you ain't got nothing. Because you didn't spend all week listening to some other stuff and praying some other stuff. You ain't praying at all. And you come in here weighted down and laden down. You got shackles on your feet and you can't dance. You, you're all bound up. And, and, and we ain't got the three songs to try to get you in the spirit. I mean, you so weighted down, you come in with balls and chains on, shackled all up. And by the time we get to the third song, you know, you know, we may have gotten one of them shackled off. And then the poor, then the poor praise and worship team like, well, my God, what do we have to do? What we got to do to get them to just worship the Lord? Let me move on. The seventh and final thing that Matthew says in this text about the recipient of the gold, frankincense, and the myrrh is that the announcement of his birth upset the political and religious establishment of the day. This wasn't just some ordinary child. The Bible says in, in, in uh, let me see, where is this? Matthew 2 and 3. Matthew 2 and 3 says that when, when Herod heard about the birth of Jesus, he was disturbed. And all Jerusalem with him. So you got to ask yourself, why is this king, this, this political power broker, what's he so upset about? Why is all of Jerusalem upset and disturbed over the birth of this baby? Because they understood is a new sheriff in town. One that has more power because see, Herod, Herod was half Jew. He was called what's called uh, 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 a Hasman, Jew. He was hard Jew. He was part Jew. So Herod knew Old Testament. Herod knew that a Messiah was going to come. They knew that that the Prince of Peace was coming. He knew it, and so he was shaken, and he was disturbed. Yeah. Had holy fear. All of Jerusalem knew that everything is going to be wrecked now. It's not going to be business as usual. Things are going to change. And that's what happens when Jesus comes into your life. He wrecks everything. He overturns everything. He changes everything. He said, new sheriff in town. When Jesus comes into your life, he says, sit down. You ain't on the throne no more. You sit down. I'm on the throne now. New sheriff in town, Oscar. You're going to do what I say do. The days of doing as Oscar do are over. Because there's a new chef in town. And that's why a lot of folks don't want to deal with Jesus. They're scared to deal with Jesus because they want to keep doing the things they want to do. There ain't no name that people fear more than the name Jesus. You can pray in any name in the public square. You can pray in the name of Buddha. You can pray in the name of Allah. You can pray in the name of Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. You can pray in your name, your sister name, your mama name. Ain't nobody going to get mad. But let somebody pray and evoke the name Jesus. 
Oh, people get disturbed. People get upset. People get mad. People get angry. People start gnashing at their teeth. People start calling you all kind of names except for a child of God because you invoke the name that is above every name and that every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. They get to shaking, Deacon, when they start mentioning Jesus' name. And so you can pray in the name of God in the generic. Ain't nobody going to get mad. But mention Jesus' name. And the announcement of his birth upset the political and religious establishment of his day. Now, that's a little something about the recipient of the gift. So now that we've examined the recipient of the gifts, let's now turn to look at the meaning of these three gifts, Harold Pippin. We're going to take a look at these three gifts and what do they mean? What do they what do they symbolize? Now, now now I want to admit right up front that, that the Bible doesn't explicitly Matthew doesn't, nor any other of the gospels or anywhere in the Bible explicitly tell us what these gifts represent. However, just because it doesn't explicitly state it, it is implicitly implied. It is inferred throughout the Bible what these gifts represent. Now, you see on the screen, first of all, let's talk about the gold. Let's talk about the gold. Gold throughout Scripture Represents what's on the slide? Royalty. Throughout the Bible, gold is connected to the monarchy. Throughout the Bible, gold is connected to kings. Gold is connected to queens. Gold is representative of royalty. Kings and queens during that time wore crowns of gold on their heads. Kings and queens throughout the Bible had what they call a scepter. A scepter is an instrument that signified their authority. It was of gold as well. If you read 1 Kings chapter 10 and see the splendor of Solomon's temple, Solomon used more gold in the construction of the temple than any other material that could be used. Solomon also made cups and goblets of gold. Because it symbolized royalty. Throughout scripture, it symbolized royalty. And if you study the life of Joseph, when Joseph became the vice regent of Egypt, when he was elevated, he went from the, from, from, from the prison to the palace. You'll find this interesting thing that, that Joseph had a gold necklace around his neck. Symbolizing his exaltation from the prison to the palace. He went from the prison to a place of royalty. And so gold throughout the Bible is connected with royalty. It's connected with kings and queens throughout all of scripture. And so 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 while we, we while we can't the Bible doesn't say explicitly that this is what it represents but 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 gold is for kings. And our text tells us that Jesus is a what? That Jesus is a king. And, and so, so as we think about this one gift, this first gift, uh, that, 
that this gift symbolizes and bespeaks the fact that Jesus is a king because gold is the gift of kings. This gift of gold represents the fact that Jesus is king. Now let's quickly look at the second one, frankincense or incense. Frankincense in scripture was a type of incense that was burned or offered to God. If you go back and study the book of Leviticus and, 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 and all the, the, the religious practices that God had given Israel, one was that they always have to be offering up sacrifices, 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 different types of sacrifices. Well, one of the sacrifices that they had to offer was, was offering incense before the throne of God. This is what you offered up to God. It wasn't just Yahweh that was offered incense, but pagan gods also were, um, pagans also used incense in their worship uh, to offer up to God. So wor- incense always was worship or give, I'm sorry, it was always used in worship of, of the gods. And so incense also represents in the book of, in the book of Revelation, the Bible says that, 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 that incense represents the prayers of the saints going up. And I don't know if you've ever gone to a, an Episcopal church or, or a Catholic church, when, when they begin their processional, they're coming in doing this, and, and they're smoking the joint up. Uh, and, and, and what you smell, you smell incense being burned, and, and they're offering up a sacrifice, of, a, a, a sacrifice unto God. They're offering it up to God, and that's what it is. It's a sweet-smelling fragrance being offered up to God, and so that's what incense is for. Incense represents it being worship, being offered up to God. And we've already saw in the text that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Incense represents worship being offered up to God. If you ain't never been to a Catholic or a, an Episcopal church, it's just good to go just to smell the incense. You will never forget it. You will never, I'm serious, you will never forget that. And the thing I like about the Episcopal and the Catholic world is because they believe that every part of your body should be involved in worship. And so the incense is for your nose, for you to smell worship. The, the icons are there to, for your eyes so you can see worship. In, in most of those churches they got, in, in, in back in the old days when we had stained glass windows, you, you know why they had those in there? The stained glass windows were there. And one reason, this on the side, I'll get back to Jesus in a minute. Uh, the, the stained glass windows were there to help teach people the Bible. Because most people were illiterate. And so you have the gospel story being told on every window pane through the stained glass windows. And, and another thing that it does, that even if you are able to read and you enter into worship and your mind starts to wander away from worship, anytime you look around, your mind will be brought back to the sacred. Your mind will be brought back because you'll see something that will remind you of, of God, the Holy Spirit, Jesus, John the Baptist. It will capture everything about your sensibilities and you won't be able to just want to start thinking about, well, what am I going to do after church? Where am I going to go eat when church is over with because you're looking around and everything that you see reminds you of something of the divine. 
And so they believe in utilizing all of your senses in worship. And I used to love when I went to a charismatic Episcopal church and, and, and they would come down with that incense. Man, that was a glorious man. And it stuff would just linger. Just linger. And your nose is being evoked in worship. That's what the incense is all about. And we see that Jesus is called God in flesh. And now, let's move on to the third and final gift. The third and final gift is what? Myrrh. Myrrh. The third and final gift offered to Jesus is myrrh. Myrrh was a spice that was frequently used in embalming the dead. It symbolized the bitterness, suffering, and affliction of the human experience. Listen to what the prophet Isaiah said about the coming Messiah. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hid their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he has taken our pain and borne our sorrows, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his stripes or by his wounds, we are healed. Isaiah 53, 1 through 4. This text speaks to the pain, suffering, and bitterness of the Messiah. And we know that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus was a man of sorrow. He was acquainted with grief. He understood the bitterness of the human experience. And myrrh, myrrh is given to humans. Humans that die. Jesus was human. As well as God. Jesus was human and Jesus died. In fact, Jesus, Sister Karen, was born to die. He was born to die for the sins of the world. He was born to die to reconcile God and man. He was born to die so that he could conquer death, hell, and the grave. Now, in closing, she said, ooh, ooh. Woke up. She's like, ooh, are you closing already? It's getting too close. I said, what? Who is this person? She said, it ain't even one o'clock yet. But see, 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 I can do that when I do a manuscript. When I write it out, all like that, I, I can knock it out. See, this Kennedy ain't here to witness this. She ain't here, she ain't here to witness this. I can do this. Yeah, I give her the CD. I, I can do this. Usually when I write it out, I can do this. I know exactly what I'm going to say. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I ad-lib and just go with the Spirit, and I do some of that here. But 
But before I go back to that, in closing. <laughs> See, she was doing all right, so she messed with me. So now if we go back, the recipient of the gift, what we've learned about the person receiving the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh, and then and, and as we go back to thinking about the symbolism, the meaning of the gift. The gifts meant something. They were not just random gifts. Now, I don't know, I don't know how the Magi or the wise men knew exactly which gifts to give. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say, I don't know, I don't know, and I ain't really going to speculate. But here's what we do know. Those, 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 the Magi nailed it. The Magi nailed it because those gifts weren't just just any old gifts. Those gifts meant something. Those gifts spoke to the person and work of Jesus Christ. The gold spoke again to his to his to the fact that he was what? That he was royal, that he was a king. The the, the frankincense spoke to the fact that he was what? He was divine, that he's worthy of worship, and the myrrh spoke to the fact that he was what? That he was human, that he was born to die, to die for the sins of the world, to die for the sins of humanity, and to identify with everything that we go through. And so now, in closing, I think it can be safely said that Mary and Joseph did not re-gift the three gifts of Christmas. That's because the wise men gave careful consideration regarding not only the recipient of the gifts, but also to the meaning of the gifts as well. Have you done the same thing as the Magi? Have you given careful consideration regarding the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you given careful consideration to the fact that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, that he was born of the Virgin Mary, that he suffered under Pontius Pilate, that he was crucified, he died and was buried, that he descended into hell, that on the third day he rose again from the dead and he ascended into heaven, and he is right now seated at the right hand of the Father, from which he will come to judge the living and the dead. And I don't know about you, but I believe in the Holy Spirit. The Holy small Catholic church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. I believe in that. Have you given consideration to the person and work of Jesus Christ? Have you given consideration to the recipient of those three gifts? And have you given consideration to the meaning of those Three gifts. I certainly want you to give consideration to when next time you give a gift to somebody, that you give careful consideration to the person who's going to receive the gift. And also want you to give careful consideration to the meaning of the gift. But most importantly, as we enter into the Christmas season in earnest. Don't lose sight of the fact of who Jesus is. Don't lose sight of the fact that he's God in flesh. Don't lose sight of the fact that Jesus is king. 
Don't lose sight of the fact that Jesus is worthy of your worship. And don't forget that Jesus wrecks everything when he's invited into your life. And he wrecks it in a good way. He is all about not leaving you the same as he found you. He is God. And because of that, he's worthy of your worship and he's worthy of my worship. Amen. We're all family here. So it's no need to open up the doors of the church because y'all all know Jesus. But I hope you know him in a deeper way than when you came. And so if the praise team would come on up and lead us into our last song for the day. I would also remind you that our pastor is and his family are traveling back today. Isn't that right, Sister Karen? So continue to keep them lifted up in prayer.